everyone. Welcome. It's time once again for Catalog and Cocktails coming to you live from the Snowflake Summit in Las Vegas. This is day four, four. of the conference. We're tired. It's been, long, it's been a long week. We've been talking with lots of people, um, sometimes with cocktails, sometimes with coffee. Either way, it depends on the time of day. Um, and just so much excitement, so much energy. There's a lot going on in the data ecosystem right now. And obviously Snowflake is at the center of it. Yeah, for sure. I think this is, uh, we wanted to do this episode recording on the last day because we're just now summarizing everything that we have learned and talked to uh, throughout the last couple of days. Uh, and, oh, let's kick it off. Yeah. So what are, what are, well, I'll start. I think the most mm. obvious thing right now that everybody's talking about is AI and these large language models. I mean, mm -hmm. the whole conference kicked off Monday evening with uh, the keynote with Frank and Jensen, right? Uh, uh, Frank, the CEO of Snowflake, and Jensen, CEO of NVIDIA, about their partnership. And I think this is one of the most exciting things of how we're starting to go see Snowflake with uh, with NVIDIA, but bringing these two together. We're also seeing Databricks made their announcement, like all the different mm -hmm. vendors, all the different clouds are having their their large language models and AI yeah. kind of partnerships. This is this it. is just taking uh, everything by storm. And I mean, you can even see with Snowflake, you know, they were saying data plus apps, data plus apps. And that was about a year ago, right? And now it's data plus apps plus AI, yeah, exactly. right? You, can't, you have to say yeah. AI. So yeah. a couple of things that are that, that we're seeing, and this is kind of the trend uh, that I've been seeing across the industry, and mm -hmm. now it's kind of validated and solidified here with Snowflake is uh, they're going to be an offering of mar like a marketplace of all these foundational models, right? Mm -hmm. You can go get these foundational models all within Snowflake. And then just to, I mean, we've seen cool demos, like just write a bunch of SQL, then it's right there and you can just start using it and uh, makes it super easy with like Streamlit and stuff to be able to go access these foundational models. Um, so they'll be offering partnerships with different foundational models uh, and then also bring in different open source uh, uh, foundational models in there and then still have other partnerships with, with other uh, models out there. So I think this is the trend that we're seeing is that every single cloud vendor is offering their marketplace of like, yeah, you can, now that you're in our ecosystem, uh, you should be able to go in and uh, choose which, which large language want to go do. So I think right. that's one, but mm. I think it's very clear that the foundational model is a start, mm. but it's, you will not want to go put everything in train or fine tune that one specific foundational large language model. And I think what the, the, where everybody, everything's going is having a large set of small language models, mm -hmm. which those are going to be more specific to your particular task, to your particular uh, um, department or, or industry. And actually tr the training of that's going to be cheaper than be able to go train or fine tune the large mm -hmm. language model around. So that instead stuff. of one big monolithic model that's maybe generic let's specialize and have the different models work yeah. together and i think i think it's it, we can see this as like the the monolith versus the microservices approach right mm -hmm. so then people are starting figuring out what are the micro little services which are going to be the small the smaller the smaller language models mm -hmm. right want to be careful not saying the smaller large language models because it's mm -hmm. now slms in this right case. And, and, and do you think that like everybody is going to be training their own models like what do you think so th this, this continues be to be the open question mm -hmm. and and Today, this morning at the panel keynote from the large language models, I think an open question is how much you're going to be able to do through prompt engineering, right, or the, the zero shot stuff, or you're actually doing some fine tuning. If you're doing small small language models, you probably will be fine tuning these things. But I think we're still at the stage of, I mean, when to go do this, how to go do this. I think a, a lot can be done by the by prompt engineering. I mean, yeah. the test that I've been doing it's like. I don't, I mean, I can just do really go prompt engineering and, and, and that's the way how I'm quote unquote training it in the sense. So still an open question. And yeah. then it goes back to the cost around that. Like even just the people that need to go have, like yeah. who's trained to go do this. Um, 
do I have all the enough data to actually make an impact right. on this stuff or not? And I'm worried about the compute cost too. You know, I, I thought it was funny uh, during the, the keynote when Frank was talking uh, and he got asked the question, you know, well, how much is this going to cost? And he kind of paused and he's like, it's GPUs, it's going to be expensive, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how different companies handle those dynamics. No, the, the, and I think conversations I've been having the last couple of months, I think mm. cost is something that is not really on the top of people's mind right now because yeah. they're like, well, we want to go see. There's all the excitement. Like, the excitement. So people just want to see the cool demos. And, and, yeah. and But then there's like, okay, this was really productive. Okay, how productive was it? Mm -hmm. Like you're chatting with the data, you're getting all this cool stuff, but it costs you this to go yeah. do that. If it right? costed you a million dollars a year, is was did, did the ROI go more than that, right? Yeah. So so leads me to like another big topic is the, what are the use cases? Mm. So what are the AI use cases people? And talking around and even talking to folks in Snowflake in the hallways, it's like, there's excitement, but the, the, the valuable business use cases are still kind of very high. Oh, yes, I, I want to be able to find my inefficiencies. Is like, mm -hmm. yeah, no, 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 shit, sure. Like, I get that, right? There's <laughs> what we want to go do. Um, so so I think that they're very high level. I mean, the, the, in, the, in the first keynote, it was like, we should now be able to go discuss what churn is and figure mm -hmm. out what churn is. Like, that's always been a problem. Um, but the obvious one, the low-hanging fruit, is chatting with the data. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that's like the first immediate use case that we're starting to go see. Uh, and, and I'm sure now with like all the apps and stuff, we're going to have like this large marketplace of chatting with the data apps we're going to do. So I think that's one. And then going talking about chatting with the data, I think I'm really, really happy is that a lot of the people are, are acknowledging and realizing that semantics and knowledge graphs are going to play a key role. Because if you just do the natural language and translate it to the SQL query by itself, this all works cool with just a, a very sample, small schema, right? And, but the moment we get complicated schemas, like that's where the hallucination all that stuff comes in. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, maybe you'll, you'll you'll get good enough SQL to go somebody else can go fix it, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be a point that's answering your question. Yeah, I, I feel like we're very quickly. Uh, tapping out on all the low-hanging fruit, yeah, right, yeah. and then all of the hard problems become that it's going to take a lot longer. Yeah. Right? So, hallway conversation, people are realizing, yeah, that semantic layer is going to be critical because then translating your natural language questions to the semantic layer right. that can be done more effectively than just translating it to an underlying inscrutable database schema that we don't know understand what it yeah. means. There's there's only so much context you can cram to a prompt, right? Exactly. So I think that's that's a key thing that we're seeing, and I think one of my predictions here is that, I mean, I'm too, this mm -hmm. is my, my heart and soul is semantics knowledge graphs are going to be at the key to make sure that we that businesses be able to go use these large language models effectively. So anyway, that's kind of what I've been seeing through the AILM world. Yeah. How, how, how about you, Tim? I think that was that was a great take there, and I think. Um, I'll broaden this a little bit because, uh, you know, in addition to a lot of announcements around AI and around ML and around LLMs, um, you know, there were a lot of really big uh, additional new capabilities that were added to Snowflake, right? So a lot of enhancements to Snowpark, uh, which is their sort of, you know, uh, large workload uh, kind of engine, kind of Spark oriented kind of on, 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 uh, on Snowflake. Um, they announced uh, Snowflake container services. So now you can actually run these different, um, you know, applications, data applications, or just kind of regular applications on Snowflake. Um, native applications on Snowflake. So you can actually deliver your app um, through Snowflake. Uh, and, and, and a bunch of vendors are already thinking of, of, of starting to jump into that. So you don't, you know, uh, you know, the biggest thing I heard yesterday that got me excited about that is, you know, especially for smaller companies that, um, 
uh, you know, our SaaS companies that have to deal with enterprise infosec and things like that, you know, that can be a very complicated thing. Um, if uh, they already have Snowflake, then maybe you can just kind of piggyback off of uh, off of that relationship already, right? Um, there was native data quality. There were improvements to Streamlit. So there, there's obviously this theme here of all of this where, you know, uh, it was mentioned multiple times in the keynote and, and elsewhere at this conference that data has gravity. I think Snowflake wants to be the sun in that solar system, and they want the planets to revolve around them, right? Uh, bring the compute to the data instead of bringing the data to the compute. Um, and that's that's a big shift. It's a shift in power. And it also brings up big questions about um, what does that mean for the big cloud vendors, right? Yeah. Like AWS and Microsoft, et cetera, right? No, the, definitely Snowflake is all about, you're all in with Snowflake. And they're making it as easy for anybody to go to be incentivized. Like, yeah, once you're all in on Snowflake, you get all of these things part of the, the Snowflake ecosystem, right? I mean, you're now with the containers, like you're, you have your apps and your, your data all together. You have an app store or the marketplace with the apps. You can go share all this stuff. They're making it so easy. They're monet you can, people can go off and monetize all these apps on it. So I think this is the big thing. And, and it is fascinating to go see, to see people's, and actually senior folks when they're like, I'm all into Snowflake. I'm like, wait, but you, I mean, you have so much experience of working with these legacy vendors who are like, all oh, this one monolith, mm -hmm. and you're doing it here. Like, what, yeah, aren't you scared? Like, why the why risk? isn't this just they're, a new they, monolith? Well, right? they're like, yeah. it, this just works. It just makes it so easy. Like, like, why wouldn't I? If I don't have to go pull all these things together, and they right. there's a case. Yeah. So I think that that's an important one that I'm. Maybe seeing. you're okay with a monolith if it's a if you if you're if you're enjoying it, right? It's a, it's an all-in-one resort, and, so, and the drinks taste good. Huh? So if, if, if you go, yeah, like a, a, a really really high-end, all-inclusive place. Yeah. Uh, right? <laughs> but so a prediction I have is like, if they're really going to go all in, like, I would not be surprised if in the next year or two, like Snowflake's going to uh, announce that they have their own data centers and stuff. Their own data centers? I mean, really? why, I mean, why not? They're like, they're just another cloud vendor. Like, you, I mean, why, why, why use it? I mean, that would be bold. I, I, I think that they're going to want to keep their relationship in a really positive way with AWS. You know, they're, they're interestingly, they're great partners, but also there's a friction there at the same time. Right. But I, I think more likely is that I think Snowflake's going to really want to be the network. Right. Um, like I, I used to, to work at Akamai. Right. And Akamai was a big content delivery network. Right. And so their key was having a really fast network that goes across the globe. And I think that's where I would see especially Snowflake kind of going is like maybe not creating their own data centers, but really wanting to make it fluid in terms of like, oh, you want to move from Microsoft to, to AWS to whatever. Right. Oh, well, Snowflake is the thing that stays constant. Yeah. I, regardless of how things are implemented, it's all about. I'm all in on Snowflake. I want to go create my apps and everything. I can deploy everything on Snowflake. I don't have yeah. to think about anything else. Yeah. And it's going to make people, a lot of uh, I mean, developers, uh, engineering, lives easier, mm -hmm. faster to go do things. So and there was a lot of developer-oriented language here uh, this week, right? It was a lot of building apps, building uh, data apps on Snowflake. That, that's it. Um, and, and, and just uh, before we kind of wrap today, uh, you know, even though we've been hanging out at Snowflake, there has been this parallel conference going on, um, the Databricks conference, which has also been happening, and they were making a lot of really big announcements over there as well. So for, for those of you that are listening uh, that, uh, that have, have been following along, you've probably heard of a few of these. So for example, Databricks, $1.3 billion acquisition of Mosaic, uh, AI uh, model and uh, development company, right? Um, so that's a huge move, massive purchase there. 
Um, and then also they made a bunch of announcements this week, such as uh, they added Lake House Federation. So now you can uh, connect to other data sources and, and, and actually be able to connect that into the Databricks ecosystem. Also, uh, another one that caught my attention was Lakehouse Monitoring, where now they're actually building sort of data observability capabilities into uh, the Lakehouse architecture to monitor your data quality pipelines and things like that. So just, you know, yet again, another another large planet, uh, or I'm sorry, so, a sun and that's got all these planets revolving around so it, right? So what I'm seeing is like either the Snowflake approach is like you're putting everything in Snowflake, right? Mm -hmm. Versus the Databricks approach is like, yeah, put everything in Databricks, but also we're okay with an open ecosystem, so we'll federate on ourselves. So I think those are the two different approaches that we're starting to go see. Yeah, and, and I think it'll be interesting to see as we go forward, you know, is Snowflake going to invest in, you know, federation, virtualization capabilities or cataloging capabilities? And it'll be interesting to see how these things play out. But, yeah. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating week. So much stuff. Uh, uh, we'll be writing, I'll be writing my, my takeaway post on LinkedIn, so follow that. And uh, Next year, we're not in Vegas. We're going to be in San Francisco. That's the other big announcement. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, I, so. I think what, what happened a lot this week, we got a lot of steps here. <laughs> yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, we had to go back in, uh, between the uh, the forum and the palace over here in Vegas. So uh, it's about 15, 20 minutes. Walking so, 100 yeah. degree. Uh, it's a little hot outside, <laughs> but, we, but we got our exercise. So that was good. Well, thanks, everyone. Cheers. Hope you all enjoy your week. And uh, we'll be back soon. We're still cooking up a lot of the stuff that we're doing for our next seasons. Uh, we're going to have some episodes coming out, so stay tuned. Yep. Cheers, everybody. And now a preview of an upcoming guest. And I am finally super excited to meet you in person. I'm so excited Ethan. as well. It's like we're Ethan Aaron yeah. from Portable. I mean, if you don't know who Ethan is, I think you've literally been living underneath a rock in the LinkedIn world. But it's great to meet you finally. Pleasure to meet you. I feel like we've been chasing each other around the country. Um, and been off by like two days. So that this is, is it. True. We're in Vegas. Finally. We're doing it. All right. So the deal is we're going to be chatting with folks and asking what the heck is going on in Snowflake? What are the trends? What are you seeing? So go. I would say the big thing going like that, that I've been taking away from this this year at Snowflake, some of it is a few things. You have different size companies. You have small companies. Still, every small company is still thinking about data. It's just they're more cautious about what does that look like because the market's crazy. A lot of medium-sized companies out there right now, let's say 50 to 1,000 people, they're trying to figure out what happened over the last three years in the data world to their data team, to all their initiatives. They're trying to figure out kind of how to rebalance that. What are the things that are absolutely critical? What are the things that might not be as critical? How does their team get as much leverage as possible? And then the bigger companies that I'm talking to, like the true enterprises, um, their, their, their priorities aren't changing. Like their initiatives aren't changing. They still need data governance, data quality, observability, catalogs, all these things, discoverability. Um, it's just, and it's, they, they work on longer cycles than these smaller companies. Um, but I think the new initiatives are, are kind of, ever, there's more risk, there's more uncertainty. So I think most people, the overwhelming trend this year is just like, taking a step back, rebalancing what truly matters. Can you save costs here? Can you get more leverage there? Um, it's not like, like last year was flashing. Last year was new this, new that. Um, and it was the first conference coming out of COVID, but this year I think it's more pragmatic. So I, I'm seeing this too. It's like people are like being very pragmatic about cost, right? Yep. Reducing cost. I think there's announcements on that stuff. Yep. Uh, AI has been a big, a big thing, but yep. I think everybody is still kind of like, okay, what are we actually going to go do with this? And, yep. and there, there's a lot of excitement, but at the same time, kind of cautious. What are the uh, out of all the announcements? What are the ones that you've kind of been excited about or, or looking forward to? I think the AI piece is you can't ignore it because it's gonna fundamentally change everything. But when I think about how AI is gonna impact data, 
there will be a very small number of companies that create entirely new frontiers with AI. It's, it's going to happen. I think the biggest thing that we're going to see with AI, and I think data teams can provide leverage to themselves and to the organization, is, is using it to create leverage. It's not, wow, it's going to sweepingly change the data landscape tomorrow. It's not going to sweepingly remove all the jobs. It's going to be someone sitting there being like, well, I'm doing this task manually 50 times. Can I, like a year ago, it might have been outsource it on Upwork or Fiverr or something like that. Now it's, can I write a script or use a snowflake function to just get the answer I need automatically from AI? Like, though, I think it's the micro wins from AI that are going to have a, it's not going to be a big bang moment, like AI changes everything tomorrow in the data world. I think it's going to be a lot of compounding micro wins from AI that I don't think we're going to see them overnight. I think people are starting to add more features, more capabilities. I think in some scenarios, it makes a ton of sense. Um, but I think the compounding of picking the right features around it is actually super, super the, the honest OBS thing for me right now is that people are, are excited about the AI, but they're really acknowledging that they don't understand or... Uh, what is something more very valuable that I need to go do with it? They're yeah. like all over the place. Uh, the first thing that everybody's saying, I want to go chat with the data. Yeah. And that's kind of the obvious low hanging fruit. Yeah. Um, but what's coming after that? And actually, how much of that productivity gain I'm going to get with it? And obviously, what is going to be the cost around this yeah. stuff too? And I think people are trying to figure out the large language models, small language models. And, and anyways, this is going to yeah. be a big topic of really, we're in discovery mode yeah. for the next totally. year. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? I just think on all of this stuff, it's like there's only so much efficiency you can get out of a team. So if you have 10 people, that's the, all the efficiency you can get. They just do things more efficiently. I think where there's another big opportunity, whether it's AI or not, is just refocusing on how do you find the highest value business problems. So it's like chatting with data is great, but chatting with either a human being or with AI about, hey, what should be my priorities for the business? I think is even more powerful. So I think like making sure that as we think about any initiative, there's efficiency gains. Sure. If you have a three person efficiency, like two person data team, your efficiency probably doesn't matter that much um, versus impact gains. And I think this year you're seeing both cost specifically on the efficiency side and just how do you create as much value as possible so I, is. So is I think tough. it's, it's, yeah. we got to realize and get, out of our bubble and zoom out and realize it's not about the efficiency of this team, this data team. It's like, no, what is the actual value in the business? Like, again, yeah. show me the money, follow the money. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I, I think as long as everyone stays focused on that, like if you can find one more opportunity to create $500,000 in value for your business, it doesn't matter if you have two analysts instead of one. Like you created the value. Uh, if you create 10% efficiency on your two person data team, it's immaterial to your business. It's still important. It's still money. Um, and for some businesses, that's critical. Um, but I think there's a lot of money to still be made, value to still be created by data teams. And staying focused on that and money is, is absolutely no Know the business objectives and go yep. towards that. Yep. Pleasure to finally Pleasure. meet you, man. Yes. All right. Looking forward to more events. We'll Always. catch up in more happy hours around the world. Awesome. Love it. Yep. All right. See Pleasure. ya. Thanks.